It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors annual sales event now on. One-off price reductions and special APR finance available during this event. Call in today and save thousands at Blackstone Motors, Drada and Dundalk. You're very welcome to Tuesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Lots of lovely people for you to meet this afternoon between now and half past three. Let's get straight to it today. I have two gentlemen in the studio with me. One you know well, Andrew Cassidy's here. He used to run Boils and Slane and he's after reminding me it's nearly two years since he was with us on Late Lunch. And also joining us today is Stephen Maloney. Now... Here's a story about his beard, but more besides, which we're going to hear about over the next while. Gentlemen, you're both very welcome to the show. Thank Thank you you for joining me. If I could start with yourself, Stephen Maloney, um, the story of the beard. I want to ask you first, have you always had hair on your face throughout your life from you could uh, uh, sprout hair as a a teenager? Yes, I really think I've had a hairy face (laughs) for most of my life. So you weren't into shaving at all? Not at all. I've... I've gained years of my life in 10 minute slots from, from not going through the, the, the morning ritual. Well, Stephen, I couldn't agree with you more. As a man, I think it's the biggest pain in the butt every day that we have to do it. And look, Mr Cassidy is smiling there beside you. Are you in the same boat here? Are you a uh, fellow that have always had facial hair? Well, a bit of that, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I say so all right since... Twelve or thirteen, I suppose. And do you under? Is it a big benefit to have this that you don't have to shave every day, like Stephen says? Yeah, absolutely. Saves time, doesn't it? <laughs> Just run out the door. So, do you reckon you've added years to your life if you take ten minutes every day? For you, do you mind telling them your age? You're. I'm fifty nine. And three quarters. That's a lot of time in your life, from teenager to this. But look, it was much longer than the beard you sport in the studio today. Oh, it was huge. It was belly button size. Uh, <laughs> did it go to your belly button? Oh, just about, yeah. Uh, and how long did it take to grow that to your belly button? When did that phase start? <laughs> well, there was a shave and die back to boils again in 2012. So I did a shave and die thing where my hair was sort of sculpted by... Um, Warren the Barber. Warren the Barber from Cullen, who seems to be a bit of a genius at that type of thing. Okay, so that was where you were absolutely clean-shaven. No, no. no. Last time I was clean-shaven was about six weeks before I got married in 88. Can you remember that? Can you remember what it feels like to have a lovely, smooth face? <laughs> no. <laughs> a distant memory. <laughs> distant memory, yeah. So, but this stint to get it down to your belly button, how many years then in total? From 12 until now, was from it? Seven 12, years? From 12 until... Seven years. Two yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. Seven years it took to grow it. 
Food, eating food, stuff getting stuck in it. Is, is that a downside? I'm trying to think of the pros and cons. Ruff, so the ruff. pros are no shaving, 10 minutes a day, loads of time added to your life. Needed a blow dry every shower. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So when you wash, it's like having a head of hair. You have to look after it as a well. A little bit, yeah. Dry. Would you clean it often or just wash it when you'd, ha- when you'd shower? Offset, yeah. Exactly. Shower. And you'd go there. Wash and go. But, but, but food, is that a downside of it? Does food get stuck around the <laughs> mouth there? the egg. Oh, Run the egg. the worst of the lot. It had to be teased out with a comb. <laughs> Did you ever go out with anything in it and didn't realise? Uh, probably. I... <laughs> Anyone ever pointed out to you? You know where people, Andrew, are a little embarrassed to say, oh, yeah. do you know sometimes you'd blow your nose in a mm. tissue and there might be something and... <laughs> Do you know what I'm getting at? Do you know, had you that any beard experiences I, I, no, like that? I, apart from not shaving, I'm quite a clean okay. person. Okay, <laughs> right, and, and meticulous <laughs> about that. Weather-wise, is, is, it, is a beard warm in, oh, in summertime? The insulation qualities of a beard are, are, are just unimaginable. But that's wintertime. Now we're going into the season of the beard now, from now until next spring. What about when you get a summer like last year, with the sun's beating down for week on week? Sweaty chest. Is it? (laughs) 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 There really are pros and cons with this facial hair stuff. Uh, The the ponytail works. Does it? It does. A a little tie in it. Okay. And and had you to do when it's your belly button, I'm sure you had to do it. Windy days. Windy days I'm taken down the street by (laughs) it. The human, sorry, shall I say, the male version of Mary Poppins is sitting in front of me today. (laughs) Off he takes with the beard, lifting him into the sky. But seriously, you have shorn it substantially now. Tell them why you've done this at this time. It's Uh, a twofold thing, isn't it? The wedding? The wedding, indeed. My daughter really didn't want to be given away by a hobo. (laughs) She, She got married last week and, well, her wedding photographs slightly better without the beard. Ah, so she didn't want Grizzly Adams giving her away. Not no. at all. No, 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 no. So your only daughter, the love of your life, Sally, Sally. got married and Dad did seven years of hard graft <laughs> in a few moments. Off it came. Off it came. Who shaved that for you? Who left it that like it is? That was Warren and Cole. Again? Yeah. Okay, he's some boy. Mm. Um, so you have the wedding and all's well that ends well and the photos are done and dusted. Yeah. Now, there's a second part of this, but just before we move on to the second part of it, um, is it? do you reckon that you'll start growing this again? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> The reason I say that is, is this true? Andrew, come in here and, yeah. and, and confirm or deny. Is this man going to remove all that facial hair? Yep, on Sunday night. Every yeah, bit? Uh, every bit will be gone, yeah. Yeah, so we're really looking, well, not looking forward to see it, but uh, it's going to happen, so. <laughs> he said that, I didn't. And he's your buddy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this will be the first time since you mentioned going way back. 1988. That you'll have... A clean-shaven face. I will. Are you anxious or worried or...? I'm just so, I'm a bit worried about how ugly I might be underneath <laughs> this. So is Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. But it will, it, it will be a change. You know when you get... You know this for mm. a long mm. time. You know when you get used to looking at somebody yeah. and then... Oh, people have passed me in the street the last couple of days and had a double take. Already? Already. Even though you're not fully... Oh, 
yeah. denuded of your beard yet but there's a good lot of it gone I can tell you it's just nicely round the shape of his face folks now you can't see it I can in, in here so Andrew tell us this man is doing something marvellous for charity I, we, isn't he it was great it was, well, you know, he was telling me all about um, having to shave his beard off for the wedding and he really wanted to do it but he really didn't want to do it and then the whole idea of you know raising some money to get shaving because you know it was nearly a landmark around the area this really large beard and so we started raising money and just before Sally's wedding we were up to 700 euro and then Stephen said well right if uh, we get the last 700 I'll shave it all off so we're really really close to that we're over the 1000 euro mark and thanks to everyone who's donated so far so uh, yeah Sunday we will go over the line um, we're going to have a, an evening in uh, uh, the Boyne Valley in, in Slane um, where prizes live music and yeah, we should get to 1,400 euro. And the idea of this raising this money is something being carried on from your time in Boyles. Yeah, it was yeah something we we um, always did there. We always have, to have a Christmas party for the elderly of the of the area, not just the village of the area. Um, it was a fantastic day, and when it was one thing that you know I would have loved to have brought with me. Um, and I suppose when Stephen said he had to shave the beard, it was a great opportunity because Stephen would have helped out with that day and appreciates how what, what a great day it is for the village. So, uh, yeah, it was an easy add-on. And um, so, yeah, Sunday and then just before Christmas, we'll have uh, uh, the old age Christmas yes, party. Yes, for the senior citizens. Senior citizens, it's, it's, yeah. It's a wonderful thing you've yeah, done every really, year. Really and I'm sure it pleases you that it's continued even uh, yeah, though now, you're not there. Yeah, you yeah. Know, and, and this year again. Uh, come back to yourself. Sally is your only daughter, yes. And and, and her mum died, didn't she? And you were left with her by yourself. What age was was Sally when... Sally was eight. Oh, my, oh, my. We we lived in France until Sally was six. And so she moved back to Slane National School as a little French-speaking girl and... Two years later, her mother passed on. Oh my! Sorry to hear that. It's and and you became mum and dad to her. Oh well, in yeah, the interim, there was, yeah, there was a little case where there was a couple of lodgers in there for a while. Yes, yeah, I know. Three I, men and a baby. Type yeah. of system. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you were the people behind that movie? I, I, really? <laughs> we never knew that. Made in Hollywood, yeah. founded in Slane. Yeah, yeah mm, the idea. But you yourself. Uh, uh, worked in the mines, Tara mines, was yes, it? I yes. So my time in Here, I, I, I've lost the link here. Why did you come back to Slane? Have your family links in this area? Uh, my parents retired to Slane. Right. So I would have been come. I was. I spent fifteen or sixteen years abroad between Holland and France, and so when I was coming back to visit, Slane was the the magnet, and I found a little house there. Mm. And you moved back. And I moved back. The three at the time. Uh, and you worked in the mines. Were you long working in tar mines? 77 to 81. And were you deep down underground? Oh, I was an underground electrician. How did you find that? Like, is it a, You have to be it, a certain make, do you, to, to? It's not great in the winter when you're going down in the dark and coming up in the dark. Mm. You know, your only little bit of sunshine was hopefully on Saturday or Sunday. And with that beard... Oh, well, I was only a 17 to 21-year-old at that stage, so... Uh, <laughs> it wasn't that long. It wasn't beard. like the one you've just taken off. I see. The, the, the Mines is an interesting irony or connection now in your life because your daughter, Sally, who married last week, married? An electrician from Tara Mines. 
<laughs> and was that link forged through you and your time working there or not? No, not no, at no all. connection no, at all. No connection. Isn't that amazing? The only connection there would have been in some pub in Navan some night. <laughs> there you go. You mentioned you worked abroad and you have worked in, qu- in quite a few places. You've travelled a lot as well because uh, today I introduced you before the show and the promo as uh, a man who sailed the seven seas. You've done a lot of sailing. Uh, well, I, I consider it a lot for me. Yes. But, uh, and you, another local connection in the, in the River Boyne here with a man who's had a boat there for many years. You Pascal with McGuffin. Yes. yes, Pascal McGuffin, a famous name. So thanks, you've thanks, sailed. Thanks to Pascal, that's yeah. the reason I got to sail at all. I see. And you've been in quite extensive and far-flung places in the world. We've travelled quite a bit, <laughs> all right. Uh, I suppose the biggest trip was to America yeah. via Canada. Uh, probably my favourite trip was Iceland. Just, really? just for the nature when you got there and the rawness of it all was just And it is sailing place. on the sail uh, using the wind primarily Oh yes, the engine on to charge the batteries to use yes. the electrics that we need to use like. Yeah. So you, you, you have the backup of course if, if anything goes wrong or you don't have wind or you need to uh, avert uh, something the, the iron main sail is used coming up the river for instance I see, I see. it's just too dangerous to sail up of the course, boyne, of course so you, of we course. always motor up the boyne for instance must be magnificent to go on journeys like that Iceland oh. the States down round Europe well you can't be in a hurry it only goes five miles an hour ah, like, you know? but isn't that nice in life not to be in a hurry for a change and not to be running and charging all over the place uh, the more relaxed I can be the happier I am <laughs> <laughs> So there you are. Have you any plans? Have you, are you going to sail again uh, in the future? Uh, well, the boat is just being taken out in Malahide this week for a paint job and its usual five-year big maintenance job. So mm. uh, hopefully we'll think of Beyond this. that, you, you'll see. Um, Andrew, nice to see you again and uh, talk to you because it is two years since mm, you were here with us and you were packing up in Boils and yep. Slane and uh, going on a different journey. What have you been up to? What, what are you at now? Um, now I work for the um, Youth Advocate Programme uh, of Ireland. It's, um, it's, it's a great service. It just basically mentors um, young uh, uh, children um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very worthwhile and I, I love it, so yeah, do you miss the game? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely, there was. I like. I. I really mean it. Like there was only one day that I did miss, and and this is the day that we're putting back together again. You know, but all's good. Um, I think Bond's doing really well. So fair play. Um, uh, really looking forward to do this particular event. So yeah, great. Happy out. It's it's a big ask, you know. I'd love to tell you that you know, running a, an establishment, a public yeah, house, and yeah, all that goes with yeah. it, it calls on so much of your time. Ah, uh, it's yeah, and and I think that's the one thing I have realised now in the last two years. The first year to get over that was really really tough because it it used to demand so much of your time, but now, um, you know, I've got used to having time back, and it's it's amazing. You mm. know, I think any public and listen to me would know. Yeah, it just is so self demanding. So. Mm. What about the music? Because you were a great promoter of yeah, we're still, talent. We're still, yeah, we, we're still, we still play. Um, we're called the Electric Wednesdays now, and um, Stephen actually plays the washboard, Jerry, which is quite interesting. <laughs> He'll give you a solo, Captain um, Pugwash. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, we're, we're we're doing quite well. We had an amazing fly. We played nine times over that week, and what an amazing week that was for Drogheda. So mm. yeah, happy, very happy where the music's at the moment. So yeah, so the music continues mm. and uh, a new career, and good luck with that. And mm. uh, I'm sure anything you ever turned your hand to in your life, you, you made very, a success of it. I, I know that. I wish you well. So back to the man with or without the beard. He's still with today, but time is running out fast. Are you? Are you getting? You did say you're worried. And when you look in the mirror after you have this done, what you'll see. But think of, you know, there's nothing nicer, come on, Stephen, than a smooth <laughs> face after a lovely shave. And after all these years, you'll be able to put an aftershave lotion into your face. <laughs> Just think of that feeling, will you? Oh, stingy, stingy, stingy. No, thank you. No, thank no. you. No. <laughs> no. But, but it will be a, a reminder of many moons ago when you do it. So I'm just thinking now, here's, here's a thought that's crossed my mind as you sit there. How long will it take you to get back to the semblance of a good beard again? You know, with life, our metabolism slows. Have you thought about this? Uh, I think the growth was quite... Oh, well, well, I'm not sure the word I'm trying to find. <laughs> yeah, um, rapid. Rapid is probably a good okay. word. And... S- Bushy anyway. Yeah, okay. So you think that'll that'll just kick in then straight away? Uh, I, I, I'm sure 10 months down the road I'll be looking. It, is, there, is, there, is there any chance that you'll let it go to the belly button again? You know, as uh, Andrew was saying, your trademark around the Slane area, everybody knew you. Is that your ambition to I get back no, there? I have no real ambition, no. No. Uh, the only ambition is to put up a good feed for the senior citizens. Yes, yes. And... That's the aim of the game, with, with having, having this removed. And again, uh, is it your man that you mentioned a moment ago that's going to do this to shave it off for you? No, I think we've a female lined up. Which, oh, uh, <laughs> oh, Andrew, tell <laughs> well, us more. To, no, we have to make his life a little bit easier. <laughs> OK. But, but um, I think he's unaware of what she's actually going to use to shave it off. Oh it will God. be quite sore. Oh, yeah. really? <laughs> Just when you thought it couldn't get any more nervous or you weren't... No, I think the utensil is used on horses more than humans. <laughs> I'm sure she's very careful with it and good with it. How do I'm I know? Sure. I'm just batting for you here and hoping that I'm right and giving you all the support I can. I, 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 can, I can imagine a vicious streak coming out. And <laughs> so if you want to support folks, the senior citizens in the Slane and Greater Slane area, this is what it's all for. This massive shave that's happening in the Boyne Valley Inn this Sunday the 10th of November at 7 o'clock with the aim to raise as much as possible. You can go along to the Boyne Valley on Sunday of course mm. and show your support beforehand. How- or if you want to go to the GoFundMe um, page um, you can just basically look up a page called The Beard Must Go and you'll find it there. It's really easy just don- you can donate you know, five or ten or um, it's great and I, I wanted to thank everybody who's um, donated so far it's been just amazing like I think Stephen was a bit surprised mm. how quick surprised. Um, he thought his beard wouldn't raise a penny but I was pretty convinced <laughs> it would you know so everyone wants to see it to go going what did you do with the with the the big slope you took off the, the belly oh. button up to your chin uh, it was most of it was blown across the floor with a leaf blower in the barber shop, <laughs> and it's gone somewhere that you, you, you'll you'll never know. I do have a little bag of it at home. <laughs> memories, memories. Who knows? Maybe he'll get the feel of this off, and he might decide <sighs> to save it. I wouldn't think so. A beard has been this man's life. Good luck to you all with Sunday, and well done again. Thank you. Very and much. Uh, I, I hope uh, your facial 
contours recover <laughs> fast following this traumatic experience on Sunday. But for the moment, Hopefully. lovely to meet you both again. Andrew, thanks for dropping thanks, in. Andrew Cassidy and Stephen Maloney. Thank thanks you very much, Thank Jerry. you. My next guest on Late Lunch today is a woman who has totally transformed her life. Sharon Doherty is a different woman in so many ways today and she's in the hot seat to tell us her story. Sharon, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you for joining me today. Let's wind back the clock in your life to your early thirties, right? And and this was the, that was the time, wasn't it, that you made this major change? Yes, it sure was. Tell us about your situation. You're married? No, no, I wasn't married. I was in a relationship. Okay, in a relationship. Had, had you children? Yes, two children. And wh- what do you remember of that time? That sort of got you moving or made you look at changing or why were you unhappy with your life? Um, well, taking it back, there's only vivid things that I do remember. Um, nine years ago, nearly ten years ago, when I lost my auntie to cancer. So she was like, she was the youngest of my aunties, but like an older sister. So when you watch somebody die, it kind of puts life in perspective. Within the first few months of her death, I was really, really down. I was in a bit of a, a, a not healthy relationship, you know, and I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy for years, but I never seen it. You know, I was, I just, that's the only way I knew how to live. But her death woke me up to certain things. And then there was certain issues in the relationship that every time something happened, it was, it was like a little light flashing off my head. But I just didn't know what to do about it. I didn't know which way to go. And then there was two incidents that just woke me up. And those two incidents made me make the decision to walk away from it. Was that one of the toughest decisions you've ever made to leave that relationship? It was the toughest decision because of my children. Hmm. What age Nobody, were they then? Oh, Reese was like four. Josh was, I think, seven, six, maybe. Small. Six or seven. Yeah. Very small, but great, really cute kids, you know. Um, they didn't live in an, in an like in unhealthy environment in the house. There was nothing like that. But I just made a decision I just couldn't take anymore. I hit rock bottom with it and I took myself and my two kids and just air clothes and I walked away. And I had to start on my own. Just the clothes on your back? That's it. I looked at everything. Everything. I had to find a house. I found a house. Um, to rent and I got rent allowance and that for years and but without the help of my mum my mum had to go out and she went to Ikea and she had to get me all knives, forks, tea towels you name it, the basics without her I don't know what I'd have done but I'd done it You take the two boys they're your sole responsibility now you have to get set up again I'm sure you had sleepless nights thinking about how am I going to fare here how am I going to manage I had so many days and nights that I questioned myself financially but the position that I was in then was very different to the position that I was in for years because I was in a very controlled relationship and a lot of it was financial controlled so this is a new way of life for me I felt a little bit free but still lost like how do you do this how do you manage all I had was a social welfare payment that's it I had no job you know but the two kids were in school and within like a few months I was kind of into kickboxing and got myself into fitness and 
you know, it was just a different life that I started living. The kickboxing came from where? Were your children kickboxing? The children, yeah. So they led you in that direction? Yeah, I wanted to do something with them and I was like, the only thing I can do with them is, is that. Weight-wise, physically, how were you? Weight-wise, I was 12 and a half, maybe 12 stone nine, I think, a smoker. Now, I was after giving up smoking because the month that I left a relationship was the month that I decided to give up smoking and I started kickboxing and I couldn't breathe after it. And I was like, that's it. I have to give up smoking. That's it. And did you give up and cold turkey? A week I had patches on and that was it then. That was it. Decision was made, you know. And that's been it ever since. You've never taken another. Never, 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 never looked back. So you go into kickboxing, you've never been in it before. Uh, and, and, and you're not, let me say, you're not a tall lady. I'm a tiny thing. I'm five foot, <laughs> say it as it is. <laughs> yeah, and I'm and tiny. so obviously you were you were carrying quite a lot of weight. A lot of weight. Yeah, I was I was very roundy and very <laughs> bubbly. Yeah, I was. You're still bubbly. Sure, yeah. I get that from you. Never lose that. But you did lose the roundness. Tell them how much did you lose? I lost nearly five stone um, over the, over three years. So it was a, a nice phase loss. It was a nice phase, but it wasn't. It was an unhe- unhealthy loss, you know. Mm. But I had there was there was a reason why I lost it, you know. I was only at the start in kickboxing, and I said to the sensei Eddie Bourne, "I said I want to fight," and he was like, "You're crazy." I was like, "No, no, I want to fight," and he put me into an international competition, and I was hitting tin air, and I got battered. <laughs> And it was the best fight of my life. <laughs> I was busted. I busted, nose busted. I was fighting a German girl who was like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, she was just, she killed me. But I loved it. It just took me to a new level of life. You know. And it didn't put you off because... <laughs> Not a hope. I was like, I'm doing this again. I want to lose weight. And that was it. That was it. But not alone did you partake in kickboxing and become a, an aficionado. You went on to win I titles. I went on to win titles, yeah. I've I've won silver for Ireland in the World Championships. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's great. Not, it's, a, it's an inspiring, wonderful <laughs> yeah. story. It really is it's from crazy. nothing from to nothing. represent Ireland and yeah. to win silver. Yeah, amazing. And I probably would have won on you for the height of her. She was huge. <laughs> she was huge. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would have won only for the height of her. Her legs were decided. Are you listening in the kickboxing world? You have to sort this out it's, uh, uh, regarding stature when people people are at this. Okay, so y- you're moving on. You're you're regaining your confidence. You are developing a new life for yourself. You have a home now. You have your children. And support. You mentioned your mum there. Support oh, of family support. is... Yeah, amazing. Mm. Everything. Amazing. It's yeah. everything when people are, are are in need of help. Um, the weight you said was too much that you lost, but did you stabilise then at a, at a weight that, you know, suited you? Yeah. Well, now I'm mm. trying to get there. But when I did lose all that weight, as I fought for the Worlds, I then went down to, while I was fighting, I was in the middle of, I put myself through college, you know, um, to be a personal trainer. So this was like nearly a year of part-time college and I had no money like I was only at social welfare so I remember saying to myself like how am I going to pay for it and the only way I could pay for that was my children's allowance every single month I had to do a monthly installment it was the only way that I had money that would get me through that so I said I'm doing it and I'll bite the bullet and I'll sacrifice everything and I did I sacrificed the television I sacrificed I hadn't a penny 
I barely fed like myself, the kids. We were always there, but we I didn't have a life. I had no social life. I was just college and fitness and studying and the kids, they got to school, they got fed, they went kickboxing. That's all I, I did now, you know. So when I got to that weight and I fought for Ireland, I was then known as this personal trainer locally who was at the losing four stone. I was working part-time in the gym and I was at the get me qualification as a personal trainer. So everybody wanted me to train them because I was this girl that lost four stone and I transformed my life. And sure, this was amazing. But little did I know the work that that was needed to put into it. I worked endless hours. My mum was out minding the kids. I was barely seeing them. But there was a reason behind it. You know, I worked damn hard. And I've worked every day since then damn hard to get to where I am today. So you had this vision. You knew you had to get your qualifications. I just, firstly, and just you sacrificed everything, everything for it. And then to get up and get running and get going yourself with your own business, again, you had to give again, it everything. I had to sacrifice. I was walking away from a job. I was a manager in a gym. And I had like 120 clients there. You know, it was just the classes were out the door. It was amazing. And I just said to myself, what am I doing? Like, I want to do this on my own. And I remember going home to my mum and dad and they, they were like, no, Sharon, are you mad? You, you haven't a clue about business. And I was like, I know, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it. And this unit came up and I, it just felt so right and I jumped on it. And within a week, I just said to myself, I should have got a bigger unit because I had people out the door. <laughs> this is an Ashbourne? This is an Ashbourne, yeah. My first unit on my own. And I lasted there nine months and I had to take on a massive industrial unit. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> Do you ever pinch yourself and think, never. is this me? Is this my story? Never. Have I never. done this? Oh, it's crazy. But I don't see what other people say. People say this to me all the time. Like, people say, how did you get to where you are? I honestly don't know. I've just worked hard and now I'm here. I'm here. I don't know how I've got here. I've just put my heart and soul into everything. I'm so passionate about doing what I do. And I'm not passionate about training people. I'm passionate about helping people change their lifestyles. What I've done. It's all I know. But you have drive. You have ambition. I have so amount of drive. have... You know, you've given so much uh, up to, to make this yeah. happen. And you work hard. When all those things come together, and with your bubbly personality with that bubbly. I can see, of course, <laughs> yeah. as well, it helps. But isn't that amazing that you went and took the unit and, and they came to you? Like the people just yeah. flocked into you. Yeah. They wanted you. Yeah. They wanted you to help them. Yeah, and they're still flooding <laughs> the door. And, and, you know, I want to tell you about this woman in business. She said she knows nothing about business. Are you joking me? You've won yeah. two awards already for... I've won two awards for Best Class Based Gym in Ireland with the Irish Fitness Industry Awards. And they're the big awards every year for the entire industry in the country. Yes. And you're up for another one, aren't you? I'm up for another one. In, that's if I get nominated. The nominations are up, are up until December and then the voting starts in mm. January. Later, look at I'm aiming for a hat-trick. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Why, Why not? Why not is right. Why not? We talked about the physical end of it and your kickboxing and setting up your own business um, and all that goes along with that. But I know with you, the mental side of all the challenges you've faced in your life has been a huge issue for you also. You talk about suffering from depression and anxiety. That was part and parcel of you going through this whole thing. Oh, yeah. But that all started... When I walked away from the relationship, about a year and a half after I walked away, I started having, I was always, I always suffered with a little bit of depression in the relationship, 
back then I didn't know it was depression. As I said, I was just living the way I was living. It's all I knew. So when I walked away from the relationship, I like I was getting on my life. You know, this is a new world to me. But um, I still got a lot of um, abuse. You know, you know there was a lot of mental abuse going on. Um, that it didn't bother me, but it did bother me. It was put to the back of my head. I never, you know, I was like, ah, "Fuck you, good luck, bye, ignore that." You know, as you do. And I remember um, I was sitting in the gym one day, and I was training as I did. It was a Sunday morning. And I got a text message telling me that I was a horrible mother, a terrible mother, and that I looked like a man. Now, I was, bear in mind, I was 54, 55 kilos at this stage. I was tiny, though. Very small body, but I didn't look like a man. I had big hair extensions. I bloody, there was no, nothing manly about me, only for me, me shoulders or me whatever. But anyway, I went home that night and I let it go and I got the kids to bed that night and... Went in, I ran a bath, had a bath, and within seconds, the tail was around me and I was hammered. And I thought I was having a heart attack. I didn't know what it was. I hadn't a clue what it was. It just didn't stop. So it took around eight, nine minutes. And I was in a sweat. So I never had an anxiety attack, never had a panic attack. And that was the start of it. That was the start of severe anxiety attacks for me. Um, and I didn't realise until a few weeks later I got a few of them throughout the weeks and one of my best friends Lorraine I told her and she said you need to go to the doctor I was in the doctors having a panic attack thinking that he's going to think I'm making this up like total it was craziness I'd been to the doctor a few times through in the relationship and he was wanted to put me on antidepressants and I was like no I'm not going on any antidepressants like my mum's been on antidepressants nearly all her life so I was like no I'm fine. I go in and out bouts of depression. I don't constantly suffer. Never to an extent that I don't want to get out of bed. So it's not, thankfully, it's not as bad as a lot of people that would suffer with it. So he gave me anxiety tablets and he told me to take them and I need them. And I did. I'd take one or two every time I'd have an attack. And then they started to kind of calm down. But then I got really busy with work. Weight started going on me again. There was no training. Couldn't kickbox. I was this... I was just well known and so busy with work and then it just started creeping in in on top of me the weight started creeping in I was focusing on losing weight killing myself trying to lose weight but I couldn't do it I couldn't help myself you know just didn't work so I made it worse for myself focusing on one thing instead of everything else around me you know I battled at myself scrutinating myself in my own mind how was I let myself go like this again after losing so much weight what's going on Forgetting when I lost all that weight, I didn't work. I trained. Now I'm working 17 hour days. I have financial stresses trying to manage it. I have two children that I'm wearing on my own. I was still getting a lot of crappy shit from certain people in my life and I was just letting it all build into the back of my head. And I did that for years. And then it was exactly a year ago, last, a year ago, September gone, where I had. More or less a breakdown. Three weeks of a just total breakdown. And before that, three or four months before that, I got myself a nutrition coach to try and help me, you know, um, with my own nutrition. She ends up being more of a counsellor to me than and a friend. She's an amazing friend now. And when I hit rock bottom there, she told me I needed to go and speak to somebody professionally. So I did. 
and I'd done that for a year. Every single week I went to counselling. And when I went to counselling, so much was brought up. I didn't even realise I had issues with certain things or certain people until I went to counselling. And that was probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do because I was walking around with my head literally not even screwed on for months. So emotionally confused, mentally confused because things were coming up and I had to deal with them. So these were getting me more anxious. I was getting panic attacks because... But then I learned how to manage. I learned how to listen to my emotions. I learned how to check in myself every day. I started doing mindfulness, going for little drives out to Malahide Beach. I have a little sacred place out there that I sit on a rock. It takes me 30 minutes to get there and I sit there for 10. And that's me done. You know, it's... People say you're crazy. The kids think I'm mad sometimes. But that does me, you know, and... It just brings me back back down to life. It gets me. It's that me time. So I've learned a lot over the last year about my own mental health, about my own emotional baggage, about my anxiety, about how to deal with certain life situations, certain people in my life, who I want in my life, who I don't want. And it's it's awakened me to being able to give so much more to clients because nearly everyone that walks through the door of my gym is like me. They're a mirror image of me. They've suffered with some sort of hardship in their life. They encounter some sort of depression, some sort of anxiety, unhappiness. They want them they want to get themselves back. It's not always about weight loss. You know, with me it's never about weight loss. It's about accepting who you are and embracing. If you're not happy, do your best to change it, but just don't hate on it. You know, it's people tend to focus on lose weight, get weight, get leaner, get fitter, get more mentally healthier, get emotionally healthier. Everything else follows. You know, it's it's a different journey. And I think that the stigma on mental health now is so much more wider than it was many years ago, which was it's amazing. And that's where I want to go. I want to help people in that way, but through fitness and through nutrition. Because I'm learning. And if I can learn and do it, they can. Do I sense that the final piece of the jigsaw has just fallen into place in the last year? Ah, oh, 100%. I'm, I, I'm at my happiest now. You know, I am fairly happy. I'm learning to accept who I am. I'm learning to accept me wobbles, me jiggles, me cellulite, me, ma- me mammy belly. I'm learning to accept all that. And to stop trying to be what other trainers are or what people expect a trainer to be. I am who I am and I'm learning to accept that and that's what I'm trying to instil in people. I had one of my own clients, Nicola, came to me a few weeks ago and she was, Sharon, I really, this belly is really getting me down. And I just said to her, you know what? That's a baby belly and there's people out there crying for that baby belly that can't have kids. And when you put things into perspective, it makes you look at things a lot, a lot differently, you know? I don't think I've ever been so quiet on this side of the microphone listening to anybody talk about what you've been talking about for the last while. And I've met many people who've had stories. Thank you. But you have me mesmerised. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Because you've explained it and summed it up absolutely brilliantly, may I say. Thank you. Keep the comments coming to us. 086-1800-658. Text WhatsApp. Or you can call in on 1857-15958. Listen to this one. Congratulations, Sharon. 
You're an inspiration. I'm just here studying, and you've given me the boost to keep on going. Hard to juggle all when working and with children, but running and train li- training, running and training are definitely my drugs. Good luck with everything you do. That comes in from Claire in Dunshockland this afternoon for you, you, just for you. God, I'm getting choked up. <laughs> Tell me this: in all that you've encountered and come through, and look where you are today, do you have one moment that? gives you more pride than anything else in what you've achieved. Yes. Without a doubt. And this is... I'm actually going to get choked up talking about it. Um, before I went out on my own, um, I never really had a... got the kids, like, on holidays. or We'd always have holidays and all, and, you know, we'd be always financially focused, and, you know, you're paying for the holiday, and I'll do the... I was always... There was always a control. And I said to myself that I was saving to bring the kids on a holiday, which I'd never been able to do. And I saved for nearly a year. And the proudest moment of my life was my children being told on Christmas morning that I was bringing them to Orlando. I didn't have to ask anyone for that money. I saved it. All myself. And I brought those two boys and my mum to America. Sorry. That was the proudest moment of my life. To not have to ask somebody, can I do this or beg to go on a holiday? When I say beg, I don't mean beg on my knees or anything like that. But, you know, the situation I was in many years ago wasn't the healthiest. It was fairly toxic. And I'm not here to talk about that. That's well, that's my past. But that was the most proudest thing I have ever done to date. Not even open up the business. That's, I was, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of what I've done. But to give my kids what I gave them was just amazing. Isn't that just so lovely? And, well, you might be emotional because I understand, having talked to you today, where that rates in the context of what you'd come from and what you got out of and what you had to do to get to that point in your yeah, life. Yeah. Just another thing about you that says, wow, what a lady I've been talking to on this show today. I'm telling you, do the book. I've said this before and I have the title there for you as well. A Life Transformed. Are you listening? Ah, listen, I'll see you again sometime. You come back and have a chat with me, will you? Most definitely. I'll remember this half hour for a while. Yeah, I promise I will. The very very best of luck to you. And check her out. She's wonderful. She's in demand. Sharon Doherty (laughs) Fitness in Ashbourne, County Mead. It's been my pleasure. I say it again. Thank you. You're a great woman. Thank you very much. I'm sure many of you listening this afternoon believe uh, the horrors of mother and baby homes, Magdalene laundries and industrial schools have been sorted and it's time for all and sundry to move on. Yes, we live in a liberalised society here in Ireland today, free from the shackles of church with the backing of state. But I'll tell you this, when you read this book, it's called Republic of Shame, you'll realise We haven't moved on, really. And for the victims, it's a reality every day. The author of the book is with me on the show this afternoon and I want to welcome her to Late Lunch. Caelan Hogan, thanks for dropping into us today. Thanks very much for having me. Um, I have to say, reading this book at times is tough. And, And you know that yourself and I'm sure you've heard this back. But I want to begin by asking you this. What prompted you to go back, you know, into 
this subject matter? So I was working as a freelance journalist, mainly abroad, and I was home in 2017. And that was the year that the results of the test excavation at Tum, which, you know, shocked, I think, everyone in Ireland, um, were released that found that significant human remains were found in sewerage chambers on the grounds of Tum. And so there was a national conversation happening about the legacy of these institutions. And, you know, it was also a few years after the marriage equality referendum, where those conversations around who gets to be a family, who gets to be parents, had sort of been brought up again, a very painful discussion. Um, And we were also looking ahead to the repeal referendum. So there was a lot of conversation happening about the shame that was imposed on pregnant women in this country and how we treated women. And I began to speak with people who had first-hand experiences of these institutions. I grew up knowing vaguely, I think, about the Magdalene Laundries, but I had never spoken to anyone who'd experienced them themselves. So as soon as I did, I started to realise how recent this was and how close to home. I realised that people I knew personally, family members, friends, um, had stories about these institutions. Some had been affected themselves. Uh, An aunt of a friend of mine was put in a mother and baby home in 1988, the same year I was born. So that is recent history. It's completely, yeah, it's within my lifetime. Mm. It's within all our lifetimes. Mm. And, you know, I was born in 1988. My parents weren't married at the time and there was still a stigma. Um, So, you know, this was an alternative fate that could have happened to my own mother. Um, So it was, it became personal. And, um, you know, I found out that there was an institution around the corner from where I grew up that was a holding centre for children awaiting adoption, the biggest in the country. Hundreds of children were sent to the US for adoption from this place. Um, I knew people personally who actually had children uh, sent there, which I had never realised before. And this was a place I walked by every day that I had no idea existed. And so it was sort of a hidden history, but one that, you know, that was known, that people just didn't Mm. speak about. You talk about, and you've mentioned known and knew several times already. Who knew? The church in general, the state, people on the ground living in communities, did everyone know, Caelan? From the very beginning of this system, you know, the first years of the Free State, uh, the state was involved. Um, You know, they had these empty workhouses and nothing to do with them. And they said, well, why don't we put unmarried mothers in them and and hand it over to the church? So from the very beginning, the state was involved. And, um, you know, even until the 80s, the 90s, the last mother and baby home closed in 1998. As it became more professionalised, the social workers were involved Social workers, doctors, solicitors, everyone knew about these homes that worked in those areas. And, you know, people who lived nearby them often knew but didn't speak about them. Women would disappear off for months at a time and come back, you know, women that were sort of known to be pregnant. So it was sort of a cognitive dissonance that the people knew, but they didn't speak about it. That fear that was in Ireland, you know, fear of church and state was there. Something interesting you mentioned there, 1921, the state was formed. Was this just from the formation of the state that the new state and the church before that in British times, no? 
Well, we had the poor law system, we had the workhouses yes. before that. The Magdalen laundries existed from the 1800s, yeah. so they were there for a very long time. Yes, yes. The mother and baby homes came about really at the beginning of the Free State. And, and, and was Ireland exceptional in this? Have you even thought about this in the context, say, of uh, Britain and Ireland, Europe and Ireland, the world? Britain had these institutions. There were similar institutions around the world. But I think in Ireland, it was just, it was a bigger system. And it was also, it went on for so long. Um, so one of the most shocking things for me was finding out that there was an institution open until 2006. And this was, it's called The Castle. It was in a small town in Donegal called Newtown Cunningham. And I had it was on the list of institutions investigated by the commission that is going to report early next year after five years delayed several times. Um, but there was nothing really publicly available about this institution. No one could really tell me what happened there. So I went to the small town. I went to a local pub across the road from it's now a sort of uh, boarded up, dilapidated old stately house where the women used to stay. Um, and I was directed to a house where I knocked on the door and ended up talking to the woman who ran this home, this mother and baby home. And I was expecting it was somewhere that closed in the 80s and just not much was said about it. She told me it only opened in the 1980s and it ran until 2006 when I was 17. This this was I, it was a complete shock mm. to find that out. And, and that's why, you know, we think everything is done and dusted. Absolutely not. As I said, thousands of people carry this with them all of the time. Mothers who were put in there, children who were born there, children who were adopted inside and outside of this country who don't know their line or lineage. It really is truly shocking. The testimonies, may I say, at times are stomach churning. Uh, you know, they really are. And there's one there, Mary Gaffney's story. You might just tell that little story to our listeners today. So Mary, I, I met her um, on the grounds of the Peacock Lane Laundry in Cork, uh, which was a, a Magdalene laundry for, for decades, for many years. And Mary had been born in Ireland's biggest mother and baby institution called St. Patrick's on the Navan Road in Cabra in Dublin. Um, she was born there in the 1940s never had the chance to meet her mother and um, was separated from her mother uh, by the nuns. The Daughters of Charity ran that institution. She was sent to a special school, as they called it, ran by the same order. And then she was brought back to the same institution and made to work as a child. So she worked there for many years, obviously with no pay, um, no knowledge of her family, no connection with her family. At one stage, someone she sort of knew from that school a mother in the area said, I know your mother, you know, and, and tried to reconnect them. And she had this, she was told that her mother came to the institution and sort of looked at her through a glass window and was not allowed to meet her. And she said she never forgave the nun who was in charge, who never let her meet her mother. Um, and when she was, I think, in her early 20s, she was sent then on a train to Cork, told, you're going off for a new life, I think, with a few of the other women. And she, when she got off the train, the nuns collected her and she was brought to the Magdalene Laundry. And she has never left. So she is still living on the grounds of that laundry in a nursing home that was recently taken over by the state, but up until not that long ago was still run by the nuns. So institutionalised for life, 
solely because she was born outside of marriage and the stigma of that. I actually met her cousin um, who told me that her, Mary's mother had been sent away to England. Um, and so, you know, that shame made a lot of women leave this country, uh, the shame that was imposed on them. But, you know, her cousin actually ended up reconnecting with Mary because Mary got very sick not that long ago. And it was only then when maybe her cousin thinks that they thought she might die, that the nuns finally tried to track down her family. And Mary told me she never even knew she had one. And all of a sudden, these cousins were told, you have a you have a cousin living on the grounds of a mountain laundry in Cork. And they reunited. They're now very, very close. And Mary's a wonderful woman. She knits. She knits these really colourful blankets for cancer patients. So... Even with everything she's been through, she's still bringing colour into the world and she's so thoughtful of other people. Um, but she was denied her whole life, you know, this connection with her family. Oh my, it would just... It just beggars belief, to be honest. And that's only just one tiny example of a story. I want to take a short break, but just before I do, I will mention Mary again, because she loved your hair. You have beautiful long hair yourself. <laughs> you. And of course, her hair was... She was never allowed grow the hair long. That's what she said to me. I was trying to make, you know, make just conversation and I said, oh, she loves dogs, but she obviously was never allowed to have one. And, you know, I said, she said, oh, your hair is lovely and long. And I said, did you ever grow it long yourself? And she said, I wasn't allowed. That's simple, simple thing. Down to that. This book is simply brilliant. Uh, Kayleen Hogan is with me on Late Lunch today. It's called Republic of Shame, Stories from Ireland's Institutions for Fallen Women. And we're going to talk more after this short break. It's her first book. What a debut, I have to say. Republic of Shame. Kayleen Hogan is with me on Late Lunch. And may I congratulate you. Margaret Atwood was in Dublin recently and there she is on stage holding your book. Yeah, that was, it was quite mind-blowing, but she spoke about it, you know, obviously so many parallels with her work, but she spoke about the incarceration of women in Ireland and institutions and how their children were taken from them, and she was very moved by the history of this. Absolutely, and the words stigma, secrecy, silence and punishment, they're all within the covers of this book, and those words were put together by Alva Smith, and that was in the context of... She was launching the book, and, and this was about you know how she saw this legacy Alva you know was one of the leaders of the repeal campaign mm. Mm. Um, and you know she talked about the shame that was imposed on women for so many years yes. and her own experience of some of that stigma you grew up beside one of these places and not far out the road from where we sit today is to Mullen and the mother and baby home. You're aware of that as well was there close by. Children who were adopted from there. I met a young woman in, in Dublin who's searching for her mother and has only begun, begun to trace and we sat in the GRO in Dublin that has all the birth registration ledgers and she had to go through checking her date of birth through all these pages trying to search for who she was and you know who she is, what name she was given by her mother. I went to an apartment viewing once in Dublin and, you know, you start talking about what you're doing, spoke about the book. The woman turned around and said, I was born in Bespar Mother Baby Home in Cork in 1988, the same year I was born. So that's so common, you know, with this book. Every time I talk about it, someone has a story, someone has been affected by it. There's, There's so many people who are carrying this ongoing legacy. Why is there a reluctance still to provide the information to those searching? 
that the Irish state continues to n- deny people who are adopted through these institutions, through the religious agencies, um, their birth information, access to their birth certificate. The adoption bill that was recently proposed has stalled, but it's still there. It, it's likely to come back again. So this is legislation in our own names that's going to be passed. You know, hopefully there's been a huge backlash against that. People speaking about how important it is that people have the right to their own information and the right to, you know, find out their name, know who their mother was, not necessarily even to trace, but just to have the information, that basic dignity. And it's normal. It's in Northern Ireland, in the UK. It's been normal for many years. And we are sort of unique in that we continue to deny people um, this information. That must change and must change sooner rather than later because time is of the essence here for a lot of people. And this call to seal the records is it of the Commission for 75 years. So that's a nonsense. Yeah, of the Child Abuse Commission. Yes. And these are people's testimonies, um, you know, given in very difficult circumstances often. And, you know, it's it's part of our history. It's It's these people's own stories and you know they're trying to seal these records um it's an perpetuating a culture of secrecy and shame around these issues and it also raises concerns that you know the the records of the commission into of investigation to the mother baby homes might also be sealed two things you've met the religious as well you detail it in the book we can never say that all religious were evil and perpetuated this horror on 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 women who were, went in to have babies in the industrial schools, etc. But from meeting them, how how do you call it? It was really important to me to speak with the nuns, to speak with religious sisters who'd operated these institutions, and I was often told, oh, you know, all of those women are dead and gone now, or their memory is gone. And I ended up meeting a nun who worked as a midwife in Ireland's biggest mother and baby institution. And her memory was perfect. She remembered women coming in wearing two corsets to hide their pregnancy. One woman came in with maps from Norway trying to pretend that she was off on a trip instead of an institution run by nuns giving birth in secret. Um, And, you know, some did speak to me that there were, you know, abuses in the past. One woman who worked in a Magdalene laundry, um, a nun, told me, you know, it was wrong. Um, The way the women were called penitents was wrong. The way they were treated was wrong. They were treated as subhuman. Their names were taken away from them. They were forced to work. Their children were taken away from them. And they were told that they couldn't be mothers. I think that was one of the most shocking things was the sort of subtle coercion that went on, um, as well as, as the sort of, you know, the forcing to work, the very difficult conditions, the lack of medical care. Women being told you'd be selfish to keep your child, that you can't raise your child, you can't give your child a future because you're unmarried. And so women denied, you know, the chance to be mothers, told that they couldn't be mothers. God, I often think I live in a different Ireland, even though I was born in that Ireland and grew up in the 70s and 80s in that Ireland of repression and believing and today when I look at it and thank God the country has changed and really like it's just a shame it's a shame on us and a shame on the state and can it ever can there ever be closure for these people 
I think the more that we listen to people, um, you know, a lot of women said to me, they want this taught in schools. They want this acknowledged as part of our history. You know, you, you go to the sites of these institutions and there's often nothing to mark that they were ever there. You know, the Sean McDermott Street Laundry in Dublin, nothing to say about the history of, how, you know, hundreds of women who passed through those doors, who were living behind those walls, some until they died. And there's nothing to mark it. So it's still a hidden, you know, reality. It's still something we're not bringing out into the open. We're not talking about enough. You know, hopefully there will be some more answers when the commission reports next year. But what's so important is to listen to the people who had the experiences of these institutions to have their voices heard. And, you know, they need support. They need health support. They're asking for redress in, in some cases. And, you know, the state has to do justice to these women and, and to the people who were born in these institutions. Can I say before we finish up, you've done them a wonderful service with this brilliant book. It's called Republic of Shame, Stories from Ireland's Institutions for Fallen Women. It's by Caelan Hogan and it's available right across the country. Now, important to tell you these two things before she goes. Row River Books in Dundalk. You're there this Thursday evening from 7 to 9, signing there. So, folks, Row River Books, you know what it is. Get along, meet this wonderful lady. And congratulations to you. You're nominated for Non-Fiction Book of the Year at the Irish Book Awards. Can we vote for you? You can. You can go online and vote. Vote for yeah for there's amazing books on that list, but I I would be very grateful if you vote for Republic of Shame. That yeah, would be. I and it's the Irish uh, Book Award, so it is this year, and you can find that. Just Google it there, you'll find it, and you'll see the voting there. Brilliant, I may say, tough to read, honest, and certainly doing those people a wonderful, wonderful service for the moment. Caelan Hogan, thank you very much for joining me on the show. Thank you very much. Thursday, November the 14th is a huge day at Dublin City West Hotel because it is the Nursing Home Ireland Care Awards and it's a huge gala night. Marty Whelan will be there as MC and I'm delighted to tell you that one of our own, Anya Murphy, has been nominated as a finalist in the Nursing Home Carer of the Year. She's with me today and she's joined on the show by Joan Conlon. You're both very welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Well, young woman, congratulations to yeah. Tell us again, when, when when you got the word, what happened? Oh, I was standing, whenever I got the phone call, I, I just couldn't believe it. I was in the room and the, the lady rang me and said I, that I was a finalist. And I just went, what? Like, I just, I couldn't believe, I couldn't get over it. I had to double check with her. I just wasn't sure. <laughs> so you didn't believe yeah. the voice. You said, somebody's trying to prank me yeah. here. But they weren't. Yeah. You're in the top three. In the top three, yeah. In Ireland. In Ireland, And there's yeah. hundreds and hundreds of people yeah. in this category. And there you are, just a step away from being nominated as the Carer of the Year. Tell us a bit about you. You work with Moorhall, Moorhall Lodge in RD. Yeah. When did you join them? I started Moorhall Lodge uh, on the 19th of August in 2013. I was only 17 when I started. I was fresh out of Diffie. I only finished my pre-nursing course in May. So I applied and I got started in August. And from there, it's just been an amazing six years. And you mentioned pre-nursing. Yeah. Was this on your mind at that stage? Or how did it come about? Did you see a job? Did somebody tell you? No, I um, I done my pre-nursing. I've always wanted to do something in nursing. I always wanted to. Yeah. Uh, so I done my pre-nursing in Diffie. And then I was applying for jobs, obviously, through what I could go for. And the, I seen that Moorhall Lodge were 
recruiting so I went for it and got the phone call and the rest is history the rest is history yeah did you take to it you know the saying duck to water from me you went yeah. in oh absolutely yeah I just I, I love old people I know everybody says that but I just think you really have to just love what you do and I really really do love what I do and you have to be fully in it to do it like you have to have something different yeah. within. I can understand that. Yeah. Why do you like our more senior citizens? What is it that attracts you to them? I don't know. They've just lived their lives and there's so many amazing stories to tell and so much experience to share with, with me being so young as well. And it was just amazing. I just I got clicked with them. I just really did enjoy looking after them. And did they, they take to you equally as quickly? Yeah, oh yeah, I'm just a big ball of energy. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I bounce in at eight o'clock in the morning. Like I'm there, you'd know I'm there. Is know. it true though they especially love you on Monday mornings? You oh, know what I'm getting do. at here? Yeah. You know the weekend shenanigans? <laughs> do they like to catch up on that? They do. Oh, they love to hear the stories from Saturday nights and Sundays, what you were up to. They love the crack and they'll tell you from what they were doing when they were younger. And what it was like in their days and the dances and how it's all changed now. And they'd always be telling me I missed out on the dances. It's not as good nights yes. out these days as yeah. it used to be. Yeah. yeah. Do they bemoan a lot, you know, their lives of yesteryear and how they lived their lives and the older times? Do you get a lot of that oh, from yeah. them? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, they would often be telling you different stories and tales of things, how they were then and how they are now. And, you know, especially when like you're on a Sunday evening when reeling in the years or something comes on, they love it. Like, and they really, like, they get glued to it and they'd be telling you, oh, I remember that. And, it just made like you're sitting watching it in awe that they were there through it and mm. you know the Moorhall way of living though is a pretty special one I'm oh, sure you've seen yeah. that it's not yeah. like it's no way is it a clinical looking after no. or minding of somebody no. you can verify yeah. and oh, absolutely. vouch yeah. for that yeah. Yeah. yeah like we have like we don't have uniforms it's not anything like that it's literally a free for all it really is like we've no rules no nothing it's just home it really is home and it's just like a big family it's just amazing do you become attached to people oh, you, you try not to like because you know you know you you shouldn't but you do you mm. really do like because everyone has their own personal way of going on with you and you know them inside and out and it's very hard not to get attached to the people you look after because mm. you're there with them more than you're with your own family and they nearly look at you and they depend on you as their family as they would with their family mm. so you know what would you say is your strongest trait? You know, for or, or what for somebody listening today who might consider a career here or, or going into this line of work? Just be yourself. Like, just be. Don't. You're obviously going to be shining out, but just be you, because older people really appreciate people that are just themselves. They don't like false. Mm. They don't like nothing like that. It's just your energy, your personality, everything that's you. Just be you. Who nominated you? Uh, my, we had um, a resident that passed away in March. Their family, Kathleen Drumgool, was our resident. She passed away in March. Um, her daughter uh, nominated me, and my a nurse in work, Antoinette, nominated me. So. And you knew nothing of this. I did. They came and told me that they were that going they did to. This. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. They did. Yeah. But still, it's surreal when you get that yeah, phone call yeah. to say, "Hey, who is this?" Yeah. Well. I know, and I've been told many times that this is well-deserved, and many yeah. people have mentioned this, especially in recent times yeah. since you've been nominated. Let's bring uh, your colleague into the conversation. Joan Conlon is here with us from Moore Hall as well, and you're in the recruitment Yes, I work things. in recruitment over 
Morhalaj, Strahada Morhalaj, RD and my life. And I think just to pick up on something that Anya said, which is is what everything is about with Morhal living, is to be yourself. Um, that's really what, when we're recruiting or when we're looking for people to come and join um, our special team, it's not only that somebody can tick the box with a qualification as a carer or a staff nurse, it's that they are them and that they are bringing themselves to the role and to the residents and that they're able to make an emotional connection as um, as Anya can very much uh, prove there that she does on a daily basis and that our team members do also. So it does, you give a lot Anya in your role, don't you, as, as all of the staff members do, mm. but it's very rewarding also. So that's what you're looking for mm. and you're not looking for 600 points and you're not looking for the top degree or anything like that, you're looking deeper into Absolutely. the applicant for the position. Absolutely, yes, that people are able to make that a meaning emotional connection with the residents, whether it be in Morha Lodge Drahada, Morha Lodge RD or indeed the Intellectual Disability Service My Life. Joan, can you understand why Anya has been nominated? Absolutely. I, I, I would know from um, popping up and down in the office and, and in reception, I know Anya is very highly regarded in Moorhall Lodge RD. I also know that over the past number of years at our staff recognition nights, uh, the wonderful nights that happen in Bal- Bellingham Castle, that you have received a number of, of awards even at those nights, Anya. So it's very, very well deserved, recognised both in the nursing home itself, the whole Moorhall living group and indeed um, by by family members too. You may um, you may get a bigger cabinet made for, <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> for all these awards that, that, they're that, that they're coming here. Yeah. They are stacking up. And, 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 you know, not by accident, but, you know, by design, let me say. Um, for yourselves mm. in the group and, and what you do and what you provide... I said there that it's a different way of living for people at a stage of their lives. It's a big transition to have to come in and be part of your community. That goes without saying. Yes, absolutely. And um, I think it's staff members that Anya that make that whole transition as easy and as seamless as possible for the residents. Um, as Anya mentioned there, and you had mentioned the word institution, institution it's everything opposite to institutional care that can be. Um, it's a home from home environment. So Basically, the, the, the basic, um, I suppose, process of thought would be, well, if it can happen in your home, why can't it happen here? Um, we don't wear uniforms in our own homes. We don't have drug trolleys in our own homes. Um, we have memories. We have pictures. We have personal items in our own homes. Um, if we like to bake at home, we can bake in Morhal Lodge or Drogheda, whatever your interests were, not only now, but also in your earlier years too. They're very important within the whole household model of care. Since the news came through, uh, I take it that you've been inundated with congratulations yeah. and phone calls and messages. Yeah. Yeah, like it's just been mad. I feel like a local celebrity. <laughs> you are, you are, a young one. Of course you are. Well, and what about the residents? Like they, know. oh, they're How all they so been? thrilled. Like mm. we were looking in the paper this morning. It was in the Democrat today, and sure, they were all, oh my god, on you, you're in the paper. You know, it's like such a big thing. They're all so happy and so delighted for me, and the, you know, they all say, you know, it's well deserved and. They're all so proud of me and that it's just because I suppose being so young, they all treat me like one of their own. They yes. all just take me under their wing and they just treat me like the little baby. So they're just so all 
also proud of me. We say hello to them all this afternoon. I yeah. know there's oh, a lot tuned in, yeah. in Moorhall <laughs> today and we wish them well and we congratulate you again. You have the Guna? Have the Guna, yeah, we're all ready. Ready to rock, it's all laid out. <laughs> now, this is uh, something I want to say before we finish today. I want to wish you well Thank on you. Thursday week. I hope you bring home the bacon, I really do. But I want to tell you that I have a little surprise for you because you may or may not know that we are running Unsung Hero on LMFM Radio's Late Lunch all year and we pick a person each month as the Unsung Hero. And you've been nominated as Unsung Hero, so you better get that cabinet ready because I want to tell you that you are, Anya Murphy, the Unsung <laughs> Hero, LMFM, Home Instead Senior Care, the sponsors, related in a way uh, to the business you're in. You're the October Unsung Hero. Oh Congratulations. Thank to you very you. much. Just to add one more little accolade to the wonderful list of accolades uh, that you have this year. Come on, you want to come in there, Joan? What do you want to say to me? Well done, Anya. Congratulations in relation to that. Just before we finish up, please, if I could mention, we are holding a carers recruitment open evening in Moorhall Lodge Drada in the nursing home itself on Wednesday the 20th of November from 3pm to 8pm and we would be delighted for anybody who feels that they're in a position and that it is their um, dream to make the emotional connection with residents we'd be love we'd be delighted to meet with them there's details on our facebook page and on our website also well done to you and thanks again to both of you for joining me on the show this afternoon good luck next thursday and we'll see in december we're having a special awards lunch and we'll be in touch with you about that as our unsung hero for october thanks very much anyway that's a lot on late lunch for this afternoon thank you for joining us on the show big thanks to brian farley for guiding me safely through the last couple of hours thanks a million brian and we leave you in the company of mike and the mechanics and over my shoulder.
The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors annual sales event now on. One-off price reductions and special APR finance available during this event. Call in today and save thousands at Blackstone Motors, Drada and Dundalk. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.